Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Sigile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, UN Secretary-General calls for concrete plans to tackle climate change and anti-corruption protesters clash with police in Liberia. In economics news, U.S. President to impose new 10% tariff on China. And in sports news, a cheetahs make changes for Friday night clash against Golden Lions. But first up, the news with Dan Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Johannesburg Mayor Herman Mashaba says the South African police should effect swift arrests following Thursday's violent scenes in the Johannesburg CBD, where illegal vendors hold stones at police vehicles. The South African police services requested backup from the Metro Police after their Niala was pelted with rocks. In a video, the Niala can be seen reversing before driving away from the advancing crowd. Four police vehicles were damaged. Police are trying to evict illegal vendors in a highly congested area. Mashawa says it's unacceptable to have a society that treats law enforcement agencies with such violence. South Africa is having serious, serious problems with counterfeit goods being brought into our country, which are destroying jobs, that are destroying our economy, and the police were dealing with this illegal activity. And on the basis of that, these traders then unfortunately decided to attack our police. It is totally unacceptable that we can have um, people attacking our law enforcement agencies in that manner. The High Court in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, has reserved judgment in the case against a uh, case between President Cyril Ramaphosa and the public protector Busisum Kebane. Ramaphosa had approached the High Court to seek an interdict against remedial actions of the public protector against public enterprises Minister Praveen Godan. Gwebane's probe found that Godan unlawfully authorized the early retirement of the South African Revenue Services Deputy Commission, Evan Pillay. The public protector's legal representative, advocate Dalim Pofu, argued in court that Ramaphosa is not entitled to the interim interdict seeking against Gwebane's findings. To show you that the president is not entitled to the relief that he seeks in this court. My lady, you can go through all the law books and all the precedents, I can assure you, we challenge you to find a case where a party asks for interim relief pending somebody else's case. That's what I call the misalignment. And that's why uh, the public protector used the same terminology. Until a court order is obtained, not asked for, until it's obtained, you must... Mauritania's new president, Mohamed Odhazoni, has taken the oath of office, completing the West African nation's 
first peaceful transfer of power. A number of presidents in the West African sub-region were in the Mauritanian capital of Nouakchott for the event. In his first speech on Thursday, the president said Mauritania's people had written an important page in the country's history and confirmed the maturity of its political system. He succeeds President Mohamed Odabdelaziz, who was barred from seeking a third term under the constitution. Health workers in the Democratic Republic of Congo have confirmed a fourth case of Ebola in the city of Goma. Two people have already died from the deadly disease in the city, prompting Rwanda to close its border crossings. They have since reopened the borders but have restricted movement. Health workers in the eastern Congo are struggling to contain the year-long Ebola outbreak, which has killed more than 1,800 people. The latest infection was announced by the World Health Organization. WHO spokesperson Margaret Harris says vaccine and are widely accepted, but more needs to be done to prevent infected people from going into hiding. What we do struggle with is acceptance of being identified as a high-risk contact. So yes, we find all the contacts we think we know of, but there are people who hide their illness, who flee, who go to another place, who think that being taken to the Ebola treatment centre is like being taken to the death house. And finally, the mayor of Somalia's capital, Mogadishu, Abderrahman Omar Osman, has died from injuries sustained in a suicide bombing that killed at least six other people last week. A female suicide bomber blew herself up inside Osman's office during a security meeting. Osman was treated for his injuries at a hospital in Qatar's capital, Doha. Militant group Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility for the attack, which killed at least six other people. Its apparent target was the new UN Special Envoy to Somalia, James Swan, a U.S. citizen. However, Swan was not in the building at the time of the blast. That's the news. Airlines at 7.30 Central African time. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys. The mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa where great minds connect an explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the african continent and around the world masterclass comes to you every fridays eight o'clock to nine o'clock central african time channel africa bringing you the african perspective We are witnessing not only record global warming, but also global political tensions that are also heating you. So says the United Nations Secretary General, who was speaking to reporters in New York about what he called both the dangerous and avoidable climate emergency facing the globe, in addition to the rising geopolitical tensions, particularly in the Persian Gulf, and growing friction between the world's two largest economies, particularly over trade. Antonio Guterres also raised concerns about rising tensions 
tensions between the nuclear armed states. Show and Bryce Peace reports from New York. Antonio Guterres is hosting a climate action summit in September, head of the UN General Assembly, with a message to world leaders. Don't bother coming if you don't have bold actions and much greater ambitions to announce. We need to cut greenhouse emissions by 45% by 2030, and we need carbon neutrality by 2050. And we need to mainstream climate change risks across all decisions to drive resilient growth, reduce vulnerability, and avoid investments that could cause greater damage. That is why I'm telling leaders, don't come to the summit with beautiful speeches, come with concrete plans, clear steps to enhance nationally determined contributions by 2020 and strategies for carbon neutrality by 2050. He also raised the alarm about rising tensions in the Persian Gulf, particularly over the passage of vessels through the strategic Strait of Hormuz and Washington's maximum pressure approach, including Wednesday's sanctioning of Iran's foreign minister, Mohammad Zarif. A minor miscalculation could lead to a major confrontation. I stress the need to respect the rights and duties relating to navigation through the Strait of Hormuz and its adjacent waters in accordance with international law. And I have consistently conveyed a clear message to leaders both publicly and privately in numerous meetings and calls. That message can be boiled down to two words, maximum restraint. The UN boss also pointed to lessons from the Cold War, with tensions between Washington and Beijing on the rise, in addition to the threat posed by nuclear armed states. Looking into the not-so-distant future, I see the possibility of the emergence of two competing blocs, each with their own dominant currency, trade and financial rules, their own internet and artificial intelligence strategy, and their own contradictory geopolitical and military views. We still have time to avoid this. As I said in my address to the General Assembly last year, with leadership committed to strategic cooperation and to managing competing interests, we can steer the world onto a safer path. Arguing that the heating of the global political atmosphere further complicates efforts to resolve not just the aforementioned crises, but the critical situations in Libya, Syria, Yemen, the Palestinian question and beyond. I'm Sherwin Bryce-Pease. In New York. At least 15 librarians protesting against George Weir's presidency were arrested during clashes with the police in the capital, Monrovia. Police allegedly fired tear gas to stop the demonstrators from approaching the parliament building, which protesters threw stones and bottles at officers. For more on this, Channel Africa's Kumbelo Munjelele spoke to librarian-based journalist Joel Ocholo Brooks. Liberians are taken to the streets in continuation of the protest that was planned in June and they continue again today. Yesterday there was a clash between the, the protester and the police. So today they are also planning to, to go in the street again today. How many people have been arrested? Because we understand several people have been arrested during the clashes yesterday. Yesterday clashes they have arrested 15 persons. 
15 protested, yeah. The protests follow on from a similar March uh, protest. A formal reform petition was presented to President George Weir. Has there been any response from uh, President Weir with regards to the demands of uh, Liberians? That's the situation right now. The president has not responded to the protester demand uh, up, to, up to presence. They have not answered to the demand of the protester. So the protesters are saying, you know, we have a by-election here. And the by-election they are talking about is that after the by-election, after the by-election, they, they want to have a massive, massive uh, protest. Uh, so what they are doing right now, yesterday, like I said, uh, 15 guys were arrested uh, during the protest picked them up yesterday by police and that the police person is saying that uh, the justice minister has not given them the go ahead to protest so the police have the right to have to have them arrested now just finally do you think these protests are likely to lead to either the implementation of the reforms that protesters are calling for or possibly concerted public pressure for president where to resign the protesters are very determined. They are very determined. They want our president, we are to answer to their demand. If not, they will continue with their protest. But what I saw yesterday, it was so it was so terrible. I mean, the police with their baton, with their guns, they have people chasing people in the street. So uh, I don't know whether, uh, like today, uh, like I said, today the street, the streets are very calm right now. As we speak, nothing much is happening right now. That's Joel Cholo Brooks, a Liberian journalist on the line from. It's been a year since the outbreak of Ebola in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo was declared. The country has successfully dealt with nine previous outbreaks, but the current one has been difficult to bring under control. It's happening in an active conflict zone with very mobile population that still denies the existence of the deadly disease. More than 1,800 people have died of the disease. The BBC's senior Africa correspondent, Anne Soy, has returned to the epicenter of the outbreak in Beni and filed this report. We've just arrived at a clinic in the outskirts of Beni and the, the contamination team is here ready to work, but the gate is locked. And for a moment, they do not know where the staff are. They say there has been resistance to the Ebola message here, and therefore they're not surprised that the medics who should be working here are not around. After several phone calls, one of them has arrived now and is opening the gate. Janas Kambale looks nervous. He tells me people from the community had attacked them. They are angry that we referred an Ebola patient to the treatment center. So we ran away. The other patients we were attending to also fled. We called soldiers to come help us protect the clinic. The attackers say people die when they go for Ebola treatment. So they accuse us of being accomplices in those deaths. There has been a confirmed case of Ebola here and therefore it's very important to decontaminate the room he'd been in. I can see one of the health workers has removed two mattresses from the room. He's taking them to the far corner within the clinic. The beddings are burned.
a short distance from the clinic. We've come to a home where we're told a person died of Ebola and there's a funeral going on. Tension is high. I can see people gathered in small groups talking. The one road is barricaded and we've been advised to leave. They say that uh, the people here could attack us any time. And so off we go. Many people here in eastern Congo still do not believe that Ebola exists. There are myths and conspiracies going on within the community. Health facilities, including Ebola treatment centers, have been attacked throughout this outbreak. Dr. Hisha Koja is the head of the Alliance for International Medical Action, which runs most of the treatment facilities. There have been attacks against health workers. We know of fellow doctors who were killed. That has a negative impact on the fight against this epidemic. Dozens of armed groups operate in the region affected by the outbreak. Health workers face risks at many levels. This is the most complex outbreak of Ebola ever. But all is not lost. Every so often, they celebrate the recovery of some patients. I contracted Ebola while taking care of my husband. He died and I refused to come for treatment at first. But by God's grace, I'm now well. I received good care. We had heard that people get injected in the neck and die, but I haven't seen that. It's a lie. Back in the village, there are many rumors. They say people will die when they come here. But now I have seen. That is not true. As these survivors return to the village, they take with them an indisputable message that it's possible to beat Ebola. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has been warned to abide by the country's constitution. Legal representatives of the public protector Busuem Kebani have argued in the High Court in Pretoria that Ramaphosa should implement the public protector's remedial action against public enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon. Ramaphosa has approached the High Court to seek an interdict against remedial actions of the public protector against Gordon. They want the court to dismiss Ramaphosa's action with costs. Fanel Schumer reports. The court battle 
follows public protector Busisiwem Kwebani's findings that public enterprises minister Pravin Godan unlawfully authorized the early retirement of the then SARS deputy commissioner Ivan Pillay. Now both the president and Godan are being confronted with a warning not to take the country's courts for granted. Public protector's legal representative advocate Dalimpofu told the court Ramaphosa is not entitled to the interim interdict he's seeking against Mkwebani's findings. He argued that Ramaphosa must reprimand Godan and respect the office of the public protector. To show you that the president is not entitled to the relief that he seeks in this court. My lady, you can go through all the law books and all the precedents. I can assure you, we challenge you to find a case where a party asks for interim relief pending somebody else's case. That's what I call the misalignment. And that's why uh, the public protector used the same terminology. Until a court order is obtained, not asked for, until it's obtained, you must implement. Mpofu argued that Ramaphosa and Godan are playing delaying tactics at the expense of innocent South Africans. If Minister Godan is not disciplined, and yet he's going to lose the review. In other words, the whole country must be held at ransom for four or five years. So the whole country must be at a standstill until Mr. Godan and Mr. Ramaphosa are out of office. So the entire country must be paralyzed. The office of the public protector must be killed and blunted. Everything that we stand for in this democracy must be undermined for the convenience of Mr. Godan, one man. Ramaphosa's lawyer, Himelton Mainechem, is of the view that granting the president an interdict will be in the interest of justice. And so what the court will be doing by granting a stay is to preserve the executive discretion conferred by the constitution on the president to decide when the remedial action, this disciplinary action shall be taken and what form it shall take. It is not with respect to take away the powers of the public protector. It is to subject the public protector's exercise of powers to the scrutiny of the court. Pravin Godan's legal counsel, Michelle Leroux, questioned why the matter was brought to court. She argues it is unnecessary as the public protector is not opposing the application. So the fact that she did not oppose the order that you granted on Tuesday is significant because it begs the question why she's opposing this matter, which is the identical type of relief. The second reason why her attitude on Tuesday is relevant to this case, I look forward to hearing, my lady. In her report, Mkwebani instructed Ramaphosa to take appropriate action against Godan in the Pillay matter. Ramaphosa has since reneged in doing so, pending Godan's review case. Judgment is reserved until next week, Thursday. Fanuel Shuma, Pretoria. Police Commissioner in South Africa's Gauteng province, Elias Mawela, and Community Safety MEC Faith Mazibugo have condemned what they describe as the undermining of the authority of the state by foreign nationals in the Johannesburg CBD on Thursday. Police vehicles were pelted with stones as they set out to conduct a raid on counterfeit goods as well as to remove illegal traders. In a video that has been circulating on social media, a police nyala is seen reversing from an advancing crowd as rocks are hurled at the vehicle before driving away. Zolega Kotashe has more.
These are the scenes that played out in the Johannesburg CBD yesterday. A police nyala pelted with rocks before fleeing from the advancing crowd. Four police vehicles were damaged in the incident. Kaudeng Provincial Police Commissioner Elias Mawela and Community Safety MEC Faith Mazibugo have released a joint statement condemning the incident. Kaudeng Police Spokesperson Matapelo Peters. Members of various law enforcement agencies together with brand owners tactically withdrew from an intelligence-driven operation targeting counterfeit goods in the Johannesburg CBD. This came after a violent crowd of foreign nationals attacked police with objects, including bricks and petrol bombs. Due to the volatility of the situation, police retreated to avoid a situation where they would be forced to use live ammunition. Of priority at this point was ensuring that there was no bloodshed or death. Johannesburg Mayor Herman Mashaba says police should effect swift arrests following the violent scenes. He says it is unacceptable to have a society that treats law enforcement agencies with such violence. South Africa is having serious, serious problems with counterfeit goods being brought into our country, which are destroying jobs that are destroying our economy. And the police were dealing with this illegal activity. And on the basis of that, these traders then unfortunately decided to attack our police. It is totally unacceptable that we can have um, people attacking our law enforcement agencies in that manner. The ANC caucus in the Gauteng Provincial Legislature has also called on the Premier David Makura and the Community Safety MEC to act against the criminality. ANC Gauteng caucus spokesperson Lisekho Makubela. As the ANC, we regard this brutality faced by our law enforcement officers who were stoned, petrol bombed and beaten up by foreign nationals as an attack on our sovereignty and on our way of life as South Africans. We cannot surrender our sovereignty to criminal elements. We've called for the Premier, the MEC of Community Safety, the Commissioner of Police in Housing to then begin to work together to ensure that they put an end to this before it spirals out of control. Peter says they'll continue to monitor the situation. No law enforcement members sustained injuries, while two of the brand owners and one paramedic sustained serious injuries. The situation is calm while police are closely monitoring the area to make sure no further violence erupts. The Provincial Commission of Police in the province, Lieutenant General Elias Mawela, has condemned the incessant undermining of the authority of the state by these foreign nationals, and the Provincial Commissioner has said that such lawlessness cannot be allowed to go unpunished. Police are investigating a case of public violence and say they'll continue with their anti-crime operations despite being met with hostility. Zolega Kotashe in Johannesburg. The case of controversial pastor Timothy Omotoso will resume in the Port Elizabeth High Court today following the dismissal of an application to compel the state to provide further particulars on the charge sheet. Presiding Judge Irma Skuman said she was dismissing this application on the basis that the charge sheet has sufficient was sufficient for the defense preparations. Omotoso and co-accused Dusanda Sulani and Zugiswa Sito face a total of 97 charges between them. Andangonji reports. Presiding Judge Irma Skuman told the court that the details that are reflected on the charge sheet are reasonable and sufficient for the defense to prepare its case. She further stated that the previous case, presided by Judge Mandela Makaula, proceeded with no indications of further appeal by the defense. Skoman ruled that the state cannot present information they do not have. 
Yesterday, the defense lawyer Peter Doberman brought an application to compel the state to provide more details about the charges the accused are facing. Doberman argued that the exclusion of certain details from the charge sheet makes it difficult to prepare defense. He told the court that the state did not make any effort to investigate claims made by the complainants. Meanwhile, an official from the Department of Home Affairs gave Omutoso a document to sign which stated that he remains a prohibited citizen. Acting spokesperson for the NPA, Smule Lemboi, explains. The official came to serve Mr. Omotoso's papers because they wanted him to sign. Last year he applied to have his prohibitation application lifted. Now currently Mr. Omotoso is a prohibited person because when we arrested him a few years ago he had six passports. So now we saw him as a flight risk. Now what we did is we applied to have his, his application denied. Defense lawyer Peter Doberman says he did not anticipate that his application would be dismissed and needed time to prepare for the case. Judge Irma Skuman then postponed the case until Friday. I am Anna Ngonji in Port Elizabeth. Africa Red Play Sports Show on Channel Africa at 1700 hours Central African time on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Africa Red Play Sports Show. Sports at its best from an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Mauritania's new president, Mohamed Oud Hauzani, has taken the oath of office, completing the West African nation's first peaceful transfer of power. Johannesburg Mayor Herman Mashaba says the South African police should effect swift arrests following Thursday's violent scenes in the Johannesburg CBD where illegal vendors hold stones at police vehicles. And health workers in the DRC have confirmed a fourth case of Ebola in the city of Goma. Two people have already died from the deadly disease in the city, prompting Rwanda to close its border crossings. Those are the stories making headlines. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. It's 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The South African National Defence Force is once again on a humanitarian assistance mission in Mozambique following Cyclone Idai, which caused great destruction in the city of Baira. The operation is supported by the National Revenue Service. Tons of donation packs have been shipped by 
SAS Drakensberg, the country's replenishment tanker ship. For more on the operation, we are now joined on the line by SANDF spokesperson Colonel Pete Paxton. Colonel, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, uh, Lulu. It's a pleasure. Now, Colonel, briefly talk to us, talk us through this latest aid operation in Mozambique. What exactly does it entail? Um, Lulu, if if I can just take one step backwards, um, we are currently busy with a bilateral operation in the Mozambican channel, which is called Operation Copper, and this is to do with anti-piracy and and, um, crime at sea and, and, and things like that. So, so we've built in a a replenishment leg for the for the um, SS Drakensberg to go back to Durban to replenish and to do some minor repair work and that. In the meantime, behind the curtains, people were busy. Um, different departments <coughs> were busy with a planning in terms of how to assist the flood stricken area and and those people that was there is. I've, I've been to Baira, I've been to these uh, flood-stricken areas. There is nothing. It's just flattened. People, um, people are without, they, they lost everything. So, so whilst we are busy with that uh, patrol and operation, uh, between the Department of, of uh, Trade and Industry, the, um, the, the SARS people, um, and, and DIRCO, the um, Foreign Relations uh, Department, uh, they they had some discussion on what to do with these hangars and storage places full of confiscated goods and equipment. Now, just to give you an example, we as the military we are deployed on the on the on all the international borders. So so when people cross the border into South Africa with contraband, we must confiscate because it it has a huge implication on the tax. On, on import taxes and things like that. And when people do uh, come into South Africa not making use of, of the, the border posts where they can declare these goods, it must be confiscated. So, so we've confiscated, uh, uh, only us, um, confiscated a lot of contraband. Now, now um, all these goods, what we confiscate, we hand over to, to SARS and Customs for obvious reasons. They need to check this and, and they need to, to, uh, to follow a paper trial for, for a conviction uh, in, in a court of law and, and, and all that story. So, so I, I think what, what has happened uh, is that um, the, the full circle um, has gone through now. People were convicted and in some and in many of these cases, you do not get the people who are smuggling these goods into South Africa. So it's it's a lot of goods just lying there. So the estimate was that was about a thousand tons of contraband um, equipment that can be used in in a situation like what 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 is um, the, what has remained in Baira for, and the people there. So. Um, uh, the, the ship, uh, we started loading the ship on the 26th of July with, with equipment. We transported them between a warehouse and the ship. And the ship left uh, uh, Wednesday evening, uh, about uh, 7 o'clock, left Urban Harbor on route to Byron. What we, don't, what we don't know is what is in the cargo. Um, it, but it is definitely, it's either clothing, uh, or it's clothing, it's uh, blankets, 
Um, there might be foodstuffs. We don't know that, uh, non-perishable foods. So all of that uh, was loaded onto the ship. We will transit to, to Baira. The offloading will start tomorrow and Sunday and Monday, and then we will transit back to Durban with the SS Agalas, and then they will reload the second load. Uh, we, can only, we can only take on board about 400 to 500 um, uh, tons of, of uh, these contraband. Now, Colonel, so let's is- speak about the, the um, critical reasons why South Africa should continue supporting Mozambique, um, you know, especially with what the country remains with. Um, I, I think it's, it's a natural uh, flow out of, of what happens between SADC countries. Um, We've been involved in, in a lot of these uh, humanitarian aid and assistance operations. We've been involved in, 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 in Madagascar. We've been involved in, in Zimbabwe. Um, so, so wherever there's a, 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 a problem uh, created by this natural disasters, I think it's within, within the mandate of SADC for those countries uh, and an agreement between the, the foreign affairs um, departments that, that we must assist. If I've been to, as I said earlier, I've been to, to these places. It is absolutely devastated. Um, the people lost everything, especially in, in this, the, the last um, cyclone, Ida. It was, it was uh, I, I think it was the fiercest, uh, cyclone we had in many a years, um, and and I and I think we've all seen the footage and 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 what happened there, but but for us um, uh, and 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 that is from me now. I I think there, there's a lot of these equipment all over South Africa being confiscated. Either we either destroy it totally, uh, like we've done in the past. Or we can hand it to people who are in desperate and, and serious desperate need for this. So, so this is our contribution from South Africa. We have already donated, I think, in 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 in, in the region of 140, 150 million rand to 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 those uh, to those uh, organisations, working um, 24/7 to to try and solve. Uh, uh, what is happening on the ground and try, trying to relieve the situation that's, that's, that's currently on the ground. It will take years for that place to, to normalize and to go back to, to normal. Now, you speak of a devastation and uh, the fact that uh, there's still a lot that needs to be done in terms of assisting um, Mozambique. The Mozambican government, what sort of reception are they giving you as, uh, you know, uh, giving assistance? And uh, what else, the international, um, you know, community, there is continuous assistance coming from there as well, apart from South Africa. Uh, You're correct. Um, the, the World Food Program has, has, a, has a big drive currently in Mozambique. And I must say, since 2000, and you will remember the floods uh, early, early in, in the century there, around about 2000, 2001, um, and, and you will recall that, 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 that baby that was born in a tree and one of our helicopters um, sort of extracted the mother and the baby from a tree in, in that flooded area. Since then... Um, the, the, the Mozambican government has set up their uh, equivalent to our South African disaster management structure. And they are, they are well organized 
they are well equipped um, and 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 money will always remain a problem um, in in these situations so so funds is of of the most important uh, commodities that that needs to be to be addressed but with what they have and and the help from all over the world and it's not just south africa there was there were private companies coming in from the congo um, private companies from Botswana, I know, because as I said, I've been there, um, and 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 uh, donating the services of helicopters to fly to to areas where you cannot drive by road and 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 things like that. But as, as I said, um, the, the the disaster management structure in in Mozambique is very. I think it's called OCM. They are very well equipped and and well structured, well organized, because. Um, as we know, uh, uh, Mozambique is one of those countries that, for, for a long period, on an annual basis, something happened there. It's either the, the Zambezi River coming down, um, uh, flooding the, the Zambezi floodplains uh, into Mozambique, or it's a cyclone from from the east. Um, they, they sort of, they, they sort of a lot of disasters coming their way, east, west, north, from all over. Colonel Pete, thank you for the work that you're doing and all the best in in your uh, drive to assist the people of Mozambique. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That's Colonel Pete Paxton, a spokesperson of the South African National Defence Force, joining us there on the line. Ndemne. Bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Former CEO of financial services giant Old Mutual, Peter Moyo, says he's determined to protect his integrity despite the way the company has treated him. Earlier this week, the High Court in Johannesburg reinstated Moyo as Old Mutual CEO on a temporary basis pending the outcome of the second part of his court application. Tsepo Mungwai reports. The court has interdicted Old Mutual from filling Moyo's position. Moyo had filed an urgent application for his reinstatement after he was ousted in June for allegedly being conflicted. Old Mutual has been ordered to pay Moyo's legal fees in the matter. The second part of his applications pertains to the board which Moyo once declared delinquent. Moyo was prevented from entering his office yesterday. He says he's been treated unfairly. Old Mutual acted unlawfully the process they actually went into was actually totally against what my contract says and there were all these headlines that say they were suspended uh, and earlier on we talked about uh, the conflict of interest the court has actually dealt with all of that and the court's findings that what all mutual did was unlawful that's actually why this interim relief that i got back 
Old Mutual is appealing the High Court order and has directed its former CEO not to return to work until the appeal process has been completed. Company law expert Matoze Rachimbirani says it's going to be difficult for Moyo to prove that all directors may have neglected their fiduciary duties. One doesn't know what facts he has, but from what we understand as part of his court case is that he contends that uh, the chairman of Old Mutual was in a position of conflict for two reasons, at least the ones that have been mentioned was that uh, Old Mutual funded his uh, litigation with against the Gupta family. If, even if it is true that the conflict is, exists, you know, we know from his own version that it was declared, it was discussed in some in one way or another. It just so happened that uh, the board decided to take a different uh, position from the one that he brought about. So it's never advisable to speculate on legal matters, but one uh, you know, the fact that the conflict was declared, you know, makes it less um, severe, at least from a perspective of being declared delinquent. He will need to show that all the directors, you know, did not apply their mind. They were so hell-bent in siding with the chairman to the point that they actually neglected their fiduciary duties. In his ruling on Tuesday, Judge Brian Mashile found that Old Mutual invoked clauses of their contract with Moyo incorrectly. I am Tsepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalun Yenzovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 7.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoku. Good morning. Zimbabwe's Finance Minister Mtuli Ngube says that the country will repeal its indigenization and economic empowerment legislation dealing with ownership of foreign-controlled companies and replace it with a new empowerment law. Addressing Parliament, Ngube said foreign investors can now take majority stakes in the platinum and diamond sectors. The empowerment law, adopted in 2008 under former President Robert Mugabe, forced foreign-owned businesses, including mines, to cede at least 51% shares of the local operations to black Zimbabweans. South Africa's Employment and Labour Minister Tulasin Nesi says that the various departments that are involved in the implementation of the agenda set out Last year's presidential job summit will have to report to President Sir Ramaphosa and National Economic Development and Labour Council NEDLEC on a monthly basis. On Thursday, Ramaphosa received NEDLEC's report on the progress regarding the framework agreement adopted at the job summit. Nessie says 
in light of the latest unemployment statistics, it's time for a plan of action in tackling the job crisis. All the departments now who are responsible are going to be made to account on everything. There will be no excuses. This is the crunch time. We are in deep crisis. We can no more just talk in the boardrooms. We need concrete plans. That's what is going to start happening from September. Concrete actions which have to be implemented. Meanwhile, the South African Society of Bank Officials says it's planning a strike against the job cuts at three major banks. Sespo says Senat Bank, APSA and NetBank are planning to retrench thousands of workers, which will add to the country's growing unemployment rate, says Bose's General Secretary, Joe Kokela. Standard Bank has just affected 1,800 people. APSA was talking about 878 people. And NetBank has just approached us. It's talking in terms of 3,000 people, but which they'll be looking at how are they going to retrench them. So for now, they're talking around 1,500. We've just now filed for Section 77, which it gives the right to strike. And they were also piggybacking on our federation, which is COSATU. We're also in negotiations with the other unions. So as for us to get the sympathy support from those unions, the strike might go ahead as far as September and not later than October this year. Nigeria's first digital agriculture company, Farm Crowdy, has introduced a Crowdivest, an impact-driven platform that connects individuals to multiple sponsorship opportunities that are safe, trusted and secure. Founder and CEO Onyeka Akuma says that the platform was launched to foster a broader avenue for economic growth and build a system that will span across Nigeria and the rest of Africa. He says that the plan is now to consolidate its attraction from both Farm Crowdy and Fragmate Africa to build a more robust Farm Crowdy that can create more value points across the African agricultural value chain. Zambian Finance Minister Bualia Ngandu says the government has so far accumulated a 10 million US dollars in the sinking fund to use towards redeeming the euro bond. Ngandu told Parliament that the fund set up in 2018 was one of the options the government intended to use towards redeeming the euro bond. He indicated that government, through the Ministry of Finance, had also set up a technical committee to draft a strategy for redeeming the three euro bonds, but was currently awaiting approval by Cabinet before implementation. The US dollar is trading at 360.25 Nigerian Nara. 1064 Botswana Pula, 102.42 Kenyan shilling and 12.88 Zambian guacha. In BRICS currencies, so one US dollar will cost you 3.82 Brazilian roll, 63.87 Russian ruble, 68.99 Indian rupee, 6.92 Chinese yuan and 14.48 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 82 pence to the British pound and at 90 cents to the euro. And look at commodities markets now, gold $1,430, platinum $852 pounds. The price of brand crude oil is at $62.10 a barrel. From an African perspective. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati.
first up in our sports update this hour. We'll begin with rugby news. South Africa's Ruan Pinar will make his debut for the South African rugby side Toyota Cheetahs in a thrilling comeback to South African rugby against Xerox Golden Lions at the Cheetahs' home ground in Bloemfontein tonight. Coach Franco Smith announced his team on Thursday afternoon and has made a couple of changes. Abongide no Montuana moves back on the bench, making space for Manas van der Merve. An exciting change is seeing Pinar on the bench since joining the Cheetahs two weeks ago. Pinar shares how training has been going for him. Yeah, good. Uh, body was a bit sore the beginning of the week. Obviously, yeah. a lot of youngsters are pushing, pushing the old man. But um, yeah, feeling better now. Excited to be involved this weekend. Mm. Um, it's been a long time since I've since I've played here. So um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 great to be back here, back in Bloemfontein, and um, really looking forward to tomorrow night. The Cheetahs currently top the Curry Cup log, while the Lions are third, one point behind the host. The son of former Springbok fullback Casey Pinar admits the goal is to win the Curry Cup ultimately. See, that's the the main goal, but we know it will take step by step to to, to hopefully get to to that. Um, you know, Bloemfontein and the Free State is a, a rugby province. People love the Cheetahs. They love supporting the Cheetahs. And um, what Franco said in the press conference is like the guys want to play well, a brand of rugby that people enjoy watching, yeah. and also um, being proud. You know, being a, a Cheeto supporter, so that's important to to the team and to Franco and and uh, I think the the guys have really showed that the first two rounds of the Curry Cup and hopefully that can continue. On to football news, Eswadini came from the goal down to defeat Mozambique 3-1 in their first match of the ongoing Kosafa Women's Championship at Wolfson Stadium in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province. Eswatini were goal down at halftime, but came out guns blazing in the second half to claim a well-deserved victory, making this their first win over Mozambique. Coach Anthony Mzuli was pleased with his charges' performance. It was a great uh, performance from our team, uh, but also Mozambique played well, especially in the opening minutes of the game. They were better than us going forward. But however, we were able to adjust and adapt to the situation. And then in the second half, we were much improved going forward. And then we were able to utilize the space uh, behind the Mozambican uh, defense. Hence, we were able to score uh, three goals in this match. And Mozambique looked strong in the opening minutes of the first half, scoring in the first two minutes of the encounter, and also missing numerous chances in the first half. Here is Mozambique head coach Claudio Machapa. So my team's not playing good today. Uh, Swatins play nice. Congratulations. Now I want to prepare for next game from Zimbabwe tomorrow. I want to win the game in Zimbabwe. Eswatini next face Angola on Saturday afternoon, while Mozambique is back in action on Friday against Zimbabwe. Finally, swimming news, newly minted world silver medalist Tatiana Shoemaker will be flying the South African flag high at the opening leg of the FINA Swimming World Cup taking place in Tokyo, Japan from today until the 4th of August. Shoemaker will be making her debut at the annual series a week after she became South Africa's first female medalist at the FINA World Championships in Guangzhou, South Korea and will share the stage with swimming legend and three-time world champion Roland Schumann. South Africa has a proud history at the Swimming World Cup boasting multiple series winners including Chandler Claw. That's your Sport News this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa tsoza Africa amuka na unai Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, UN Secretary-General calls for concrete plans to tackle climate change and anti-corruption protesters clash with police in Liberia. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Jane Rabutata, technical producers Fisoma Shekho and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. I'll take us to the top of the hour for the news on DSTV's Audio Bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za is Black Coffee featuring Toshi with a song titled Booyah. <laughs>